Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Midweek, checking in. Hope you're all doing well. Take care of yourselves. Oh, bless, bless, bless. What a strange time. We're going to spend the show talking about some uh, COVID stuff, getting over COVID anxiety. Yep, something I'm hearing a lot about. Still coming to my office and uh, coming in from family members. We'll be talking about that. And also, if you want to take a road trip, I'm all in support of that. But I'm going to share with you some things you got to consider based on the current state of what's going on in the world. Uh, a little bit of news, Tinder. They're planning to add an element to their um, app that will basically allow criminal checks. Um a lot of people are like, oh, that sounds great. Well, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Here's why. Number one, um, not everyone who has been convicted of something is actually guilty of something, right? We know that the uh, criminal often injustice system is often um, anti-trans, anti-LGBTQIA, and also very racist at times. Nonetheless, not everyone who's been convicted of something is guilty. Also, there's people where it was a historical conviction. Yes, it was something they did at a certain time in their life. They've grown, evolved, and transformed, and no longer um, should have to be for lifelong, you know, for life associated with that. You know, when people are rehabilitated or went through treatment or whatever it is you want to say, have done their time, they're allowed to move on with their lives. I bring that up all the time with everyone in any context, but especially with people I work with in terms of addiction. In their use, they engage in a lot of things that now as a sober person makes no sense for who they are. Um, and they have a right to not have to drag that forward with them. Even someone who's not in recovery has a right to leave behind prior prior things that might have been a systemic issue um, or, you know, sometimes crimes are committed for people to try to get their basic needs met and it's not driven by criminality as much as the system has failed them, right? Um, there's a lot of laws that are actually just deeply unjust and we see that even with, you know, marijuana laws, now it's legalized, but yet there were people that right before that passed um, were thrown in jail for possession, use, distribution, whatever it is. And now we're releasing some of those people, working on getting them all released. But again, that might be tied to it. So I don't like that. The fact, I also don't like that lack of privacy. I don't know that on an app you should have a right to access that, even if it's given to you permission wise from the user. Um, not everyone's given a chance to explain. I don't know. I think it's a mess. I'm not a fan of that. But this also brings up people's concerns with COVID passports. Um, that against making certain people a second class citizen. It's reinforcing, you know, like with the criminal check, um, history being brought forward all the time. I don't know. I don't know. We're gonna have to see how it goes. Also, I love this. Not really gonna dive deep into the article at all, but just the topic. Can pandemic relationships survive normal life? That's also something I've worked with some clients on. You know, they've met someone, right? A relationship was formed at early COVID, during COVID, and they're wondering, well, does it will it survive when the circumstances change? And it's an interesting question. And here's the answer. 
Maybe. Same thing happens when you relocate. You can Your relationship can go very beautifully in one city and then you relocate and it doesn't any longer. Why? Context is different. Social worlds are different. Scheduling might be different. Stresses might be different. Different elements of you are brought out. Your world changes in different ways. Um, so who knows? You know, the COVID question, well, right now you're with each other maybe around the clock. The world shifts and change, it opens up, and now you're not home. Or now you have to really explore, are we compatible in terms of social worlds and um, what we like to do for hobbies or with our downtime. Things that you weren't given access to for the length of COVID to really see how that impacts your lives or if you're compatible on those levels and in those ways, right? I mean, people haven't been able to go to bars. What's it like being a couple when, bar, when bars are open? And you're together or not together. Rough example. Restaurants. You know, it's interesting. Finance might not even had to have been brought up yet because you're just cooking at home, getting delivery. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see, though. People haven't been able to test each other while on a trip or going to vacation. That's another interesting one. Um, also, an article came out looking at Barbies and the damage they do based on body image um, and a lot of other things. But interesting is it showed that uh, some of the damage they do cannot be undone. Research provides more evidence that Barbies are bad news. Now, what I do like is how they've gotten very inclusive in terms of race, orientation, ability, and disability. So that's kind of beautiful. I love that. But uh, body image develops traditionally, now again, traditionally, between ages 6 and 11, right? And uh, anything brought in in that time is going to impact it. Dolls, media, discussions that parents have around them about whether your worth is tied to your body and how they encounter fatness. Um, in a recent study, girls who played with extremely thin dolls, which are still the bulk of them, chose a thinner body ideal than girls who played with realistically proportioned dolls. Again, familiarity breeds expectation that you have upon yourself and what you think the ideal is, right? And that's why they're very thoughtful about that. Well, not just that window of time, how we're influenced throughout our entire lives. And basically, playing with realistic dolls after playing with extremely thin dolls did not counteract those effects. That's the fat, powerful part that came out of that, is that it left um, long-standing negative impacts. You can't just say, oh, I'll flip the script, different kind of doll, and all will be well. It doesn't work like that, the study show. <laughs> Gotta love positive outcomes. And finally, we'll go out on this one. Uh, Tia Mallory. She disclosed that her husband has said she is not allowed to try um, this one TikTok challenge called the Silhouette Challenge. Yeah, it's too sexy, he said. And apparently, uh, we're not adults in adult relationships anymore where we get to make decisions for ourselves. It'd be one thing if she said, my husband raised concerns, I've thought about it, it makes sense to me, it's not something I'm going to do, but it was, he told me I'm not allowed. Well, let me remind you, you're an adult and you get to do whatever you want to do with your body. It's called body autonomy and moving away from patriarchy and sexism. So uh, I think you should do it. Come on, be a rebel. All right, y'all, uh, take a little break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how to deal with COVID anxiety. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back. Bum, bum, bum. Reopening anxiety. Yes. Uh, again, it's interesting. These things keep coming up. They come up in the DMs. They've been coming up on in my clinical practice as well and even in my own personal life. This um, anxiety about the world opening up. What would that mean? What would that look like? What will it take for us? Uh, you know, a lot of us that have been following a lot of the protocols, um, we're not used to a lot of dynamicism, a lot of energy, maybe not a lot of responsibility, although some people are laughing going, yeah, God bless, because I know some people are at home with multiple family members and they're trying to both go to school and work, but then there's other people where it's been quite the opposite. It's been 
very quiet and very simple. And the idea of really returning to everything feels very overwhelming. So what does that mean? What kind of perspective do we take? Well, remember that you don't have to go zero to 60. And that's what I think is the beautiful part of this is it's a slow build, you know? And uh, gosh, it's really different location and, and location geographic and geographic. But for a lot of places other than maybe the Texases and the Floridas that have been wide open for a long time. The rest of it's it's a slow move, uh, increase in capacities, uh, where you can go, where you can't go. But again, remember, it's somewhat of a collective trauma. And that becomes internalized. That becomes something that's somatic. It's in our bodies. It's also something that's psychological, right? Our, our psyches have been uh, reorganized around this, what we're familiar with, what we're not familiar with. I know for me, again, my familiarity with a lot of socialization has significantly dropped. And so it can definitely spike my anxiety, the idea of having to interface with a lot of people, which, you know, it also this is happening within um, the context of your own personality style or, or characterological organization, which for me, I'm more introverted. I, I don't like high levels of socialization. I don't like being around large numbers of people at the same time. I have deep, intimate friendships that are more one-on-one -on -one or two-on-one. -on -one. Um, I don't enjoy crowds of people. I don't like loud, dark spaces. So for me, yes, that would be overwhelming. But for other people that are familiar with things like that, it's kind of shifted for them. Um, so what are some things we have to think about? Well, you know, again, remember, it's going to be a slow build and we're all in this together. So I want to just start by the outset in saying that we have to give everyone some grace. We have to, as I keep saying, drop the bar for people, right? We can't have the same expectations. And I think some people have seen that, you know, teachers um, and students. It's kind of my favorite example where um, we've really had to be a little more individualized and give people what it is they need specifically. And that's why God bless teachers. I don't know how you're sitting there on Zoom in front of the multitude of people you're in front of. And you have to find a way to hold space for that many different energies and different personality styles um, and be dynamic enough to keep their focus and their attention, right? And fill that space. That's That takes a lot of energy and a lot of focus. So I, I empathize with that. I'm doing that with therapy and with the radio show where I'm holding a lot of space as well. It's focused, conscious, intentional space. So I know how depleting that can be. So just a reminder for all those people that are needing to do that, we on our days off um, and our downtime, as much rest, self-care and pleasure as possible, truly, because it's depleting. And that's where the boundaries come in, right? Like I can't be doing all that I'm doing, sitting in the spaces I'm doing it, and then be as available to other people as I might be traditionally, right? Because that's not self-care. And so that's why I've had to limit, you know, exposure and accessibility to me. So do think about that. Um, but the first off is remember, we got to take everything slow. It can't be zero to 60. And so you you creep back in. Everyone's comfort level is going to be different. And I think for some of us, it's really been an honest time where we're going to really get to decide what we want to keep in our lives. Because that's the, that's the positive in all this is we can release and not return to certain spaces, places, social scenes, friendships, ways of being, right? So you can kind of reinvent yourself. You can rebuild based on what it is you prefer or wish you had, you know, and I'm doing that. I'm moving away from some social spaces and forms of socialization. I've let some relationships drift. I've gotten closer to other people. And, you know, you kind of essentially, yeah, rebuild. That's the beautiful thing about this sense of like annihilation and complete erasure is that new things are built in place, right? And we can step back out into the world differently. And it's literal because there's a lot of things that literally have been taken from us and are not returning or reopening, right? But that's the natural you know, process of evolution in terms of business and, and, and social lives. So that's part of it. But again, move slow and move towards what really is more honest with who you are. Some people are emerging from this thing. I'm not drinking anymore. I'm, I'm doing a healthier lifestyle. I'm sober. 
California sober, just smoking weed or whatever it is. And so they're maybe no longer participating in bar and club culture, you know? Or some people have gone back to school during that time, right? Or changed careers or left all the above or was left by all the above and they're reemerging now unemployed or not in school and, and choosing new paths. I mean, that's the beauty in some of this. So try to find the value in that, not always the fear and the anxiety that it's also kind of opportunistic. Who do I wanna be? What kind of social world do I wanna be a part of? What kind of career, even education, you know? So think about that, even mental health, like I said, with sobriety and choosing maybe higher levels of wellness, there, there are some benefits to that erasure, as I say. Um, but again, you don't have to fully immerse yourself. You can stop by um, a restaurant with a friend, eat a little bit. You don't have to go on a crowded, popular night. Um, you can slowly start seeing friends um, in small, contained times and spaces. But the bigger piece is just listening to your brain and listening to your body, like letting that anxiety, your body's going to tell you a lot of what's going on, like how comfortable or safe does something feel. Now, we, we wanna work with it a little bit, but when someone proposes something or something's brought back in, do you feel drawn to it? Are you just made anxious? And remember, if we're feeling anxious in our bodies at the idea of something or someone, it's kind of like when we're engaging sexuality. We can say, yes, that sounds good. Hard, no, it doesn't. Or that in between, maybe, but here's what the changes would need to be. You know, I know for me, like, again, my whole schedule shifted. So if someone said to me, I'm having a birthday party at a bar, 9 p.m., I'd say, unfortunately, that doesn't work. <laughs> I'm in bed by 10. I don't drink anymore. And I'm not really hanging out in bars. And so, hey, we can celebrate your birthday on an afternoon where we can go for coffee, lunch or go for a hike. Right. Like that would be my new standard. Um, I'm setting those hard boundaries around spaces that just aren't good for me or right for me or, or I just don't really find joy and, joy and pleasure in, you know. So. Listen to your body because maybe you'd say, hey, that 9 p.m. party sounds great. I'll only be able to stay for about an hour because you'll listen to your body. It sounds somewhat good, somewhat anxiety-inducing because historically maybe it meant it was a long night or you had a drink. And now you're realizing I can go and be different and set boundaries and leave at a certain time. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to keep talking about this, uh, some of the psychological COVID anxiety about uh, reemerging into the world. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about this COVID anxiety, looking at the mental health impact of the ever-shifting landscape before us as a result of the pandemic. And we're talking about how, on one hand, it's kind of opportunistic and you should see it as such, right? We're moving towards uh, more truth and honesty about who we want to be in the world, what we want to do in the world, career, education, things have changed. And we can't expect ourselves or others, because remember, it's also about others, we can't expect ourselves and others to be the same as they were before in terms of what we can expect from them, in terms of the kind of relationships we'll have, how we'll socialize. Like I said, some people got sober. Some people are moving more towards wellness. Some people are realizing that they didn't have a lot in common with friends. Some people went back to school. Some people got engaged and married, right? So not everyone's emerging and it can be business as usual. You almost have to like reassess. I know like I shared in the last segment uh, transparently that I'm no longer participating in you know alcohol culture, bars, clubs, all that heavy socialization. It's really shifted for me. My relationships got more serious. Um, I'm more thinking in terms of like family man. I'm focusing on other things that I wanna do in my life that are more of a solo journey, got closer with some people, moved away from the people who really focus on 
running around with a group and partying and all that and events. Just kind of who I would have evolved out of. And so I'm honoring that. And that's going to mean I'm going to disappoint some friends in what I'm available for in terms of friendship and also socialization. And then I'm going to be getting closer to some others that are a little more compatible with who I am now. Allow that. Allow that for others, allow that for yourself. Don't assume that your friends are gonna be there in the same ways or even your job. You're gonna be relating to your job differently. You know, even, I know I am. Like we're looking at people talking about breakthrough infections. So I'm being very cautious about what spaces I'm in, how long I'm there, who else is there, what level of risk they are. I have some friends that I've been seeing running around like we're not in the middle of a pandemic. I'm not gonna be in a, an enclosed space with them even though I'm vaccinated. Absolutely not. It's still risky right? So we're asking, are the people that are going to be there vaccinated? Is it indoor or outdoor? How long are we expected to be there? Like we're asking these important questions of everything and everyone, but we're listening to our bodies when we're asked to participate in some way. And we're saying, do I need to make some changes, set some boundaries? Do I feel anxious? Um, but we're, 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 we're being kind with ourselves and others. You have to afford that to others. It can't be, ah, oh, we're all vaccinated. Things are open. So I expect everyone to be at my birthday on Friday night at this place. It's like, it doesn't work like that. Some people have a lot more anxiety about COVID. Some people aren't fully vaccinated. Others are afraid of the breakthrough infections and the variants and aren't comfortable being in an enclosed space with that many people. Someone else might now go to bed early. Another person might have stopped drinking and gotten sober, right? So all it's going to shift. It's possibly going to shift a lot. And I don't think people are really aware of that. And then we move into just like the other mental health perspectives where some people are, are going through grief and loss. And, and I don't know that we're applying that word as much as we should. Some people are going through grief and loss, the loss of their job, the loss of uh, comfort around finances, right? They might've literally lost a friend or a loved one. They might have suffered some loss as a result of their own possible COVID infection, right? So we don't even know the people that we're now dealing with. They're different from the person they were prior. So we're mindful, right? I'm looking at a stat here. It says um, one in three, and this is Americans, one in three Americans is grieving someone lost to COVID right now. One in three are grieving that. That's a powerful number. So COVID means something different for them, right? And the world opening back up doesn't necessarily alleviate all that because their struggles deeper than just, I can't go to the gym right now. You know what I mean? For some people, it's far bigger. So it's not just like woohoo party time, you know? For other people, they're like, I'm not, I'm not ready to celebrate the benefits. I'm still dealing with the loss of a lot of aspects of my life. And for those people, please get into therapy, join some support groups, be where you are, be kind with yourself, and hope that your friends understand and support that. Also, like some people are just angry. You know, they have a lot of anger to work through around the government, the way things have been handled. Again, I'm in a relationship with someone who lives in Canada. In Canada, their rollout plan has been abysmal. It is so sad how far they, how far behind they are with the vaccine rollouts. And so there's a lot of anger for me with that. There's also a lot of anger for me towards people that have not taken the pandemic seriously. That's allowed it to continue and perpetuate. That's kept me from seeing someone I'm in a relationship with. So it's like, congratulations on your spring break party. That literally is part of why I can't see someone I'm in a relationship with because the numbers spike because of people's carelessness. So I have anger to work through. I'm pissed at people that I saw running around taking nothing seriously because it personally impacts us and also impacts collectively, you know? Um, but again, I guess the final landing point is find the meaning and the value in some of this. You know, we're learning how to push ourselves out a little bit. We're learning to return to the things that give us joy, pleasure, and meaning in our lives. But the world's different. There's no such thing as going back to normal ever. Movement's always forward. 
right? Some things might be familiar, but a lot of things are gone. Things are different. We're relating to them differently into ourselves. So when people say, oh, when will things go back to normal? Well, psychologically speaking, never. Socially speaking, never. <laughs> Even literally speaking, never. I mean, there's so many landmarks that we have lost here, at least in LA, as a result of these closures um, that are not coming back. So that, that, those are like massive losses, literally, and also just symbolically. There's a lot in this. I mean, we, we are in the middle of history. History is being made as we speak still. And so much more to come, right? There's no final date where this is all done and resolved and we've moved on. So be kind to yourselves. And more importantly, be kind to those around you because you don't know what someone's struggling with and what the meaning in what happened has been or the meaning in what we're moving towards is for them. So, all right, y'all, coming up next, we're gonna be sliding the DMs. So stick around for that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Today's question says, uh, hey there. Love your show so much. Thank you for providing us with free therapy. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Um, my question for the show is, I have a friend who hit it off with one of her previous coworkers. Awesome. They had sex a few times. And then my friend asked where they would like this relationship to go. Um, for example, just a short hookup. Are you interested in exclusive dating, an occasional booty call, etc.? <laughs> he then told her he is in a poly relationship and is interested in dating her alongside his current partner. Because again, polyamory is multiple ongoing relationships versus open relationships. Poly is a form of open, but the other forms of open are just, I have a primary and I just want maybe sex with you. But again, this person's poly, meaning they have ongoing committed relationships, often equally as important as the other. One might not be a primary, but sometimes they are kind of hierarchical and one is more primary, other secondary, but each relationship has worth and value of its own, right? Um, so anyway, this person said, yes, I'm in a poly relationship. I'm interested in dating you alongside my current partner. Uh, my friend was heartbroken and quite a few of her other friends don't talk to this man anymore because he is a, and I quote, manipulator. Wow. Sorry to hear that because he's quite the opposite of being a manipulator. He's being honest, transparent. Where's the manipulation in that? What's he, who's he manipulating? How's he manipulating? What do you think the goals of manip manipulation is? I hear no manipulation at all. I hear honesty and transparency. Your question is, how big of a red flag is this withholding of information? Was he 100% in the right and doesn't have to share unless he wants to? Or would it have been better for him to disclose this before they had sex? Thanks for any advice you have. I guess I'm kind of confused by the assumption in your question. I don't think he was manipulative. I don't see any red flag. I don't see anything being withheld. Um, I, don't, I don't agree that before we, as an adult, have sex with another adult, we have to run through the disclosure of anything that maybe possibly they might be upset by. This falls on your friend. If, if you're that dysregulated by, the, by disappointment, you're gonna have a rough, rough go at it with dating. Dating's about often getting disappointed. But if your partner, I'm sorry, if your friend is that, I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of frustrated with your friend, to be honest, because your friend asked what they're open to, short hookup, exclusive dating. So it implies that your friend was open to whatever. But if your friend... I don't, I guess I don't understand the question. No one lied to anyone. I, this guy did not need to disclose that he's poly. If your friend wants to know, your friend needs to ask. 
I don't agree that as before we go on a date or have sex with someone, we have to disclose any potential things that might bother people. We're allowed to just show up to what's available. Your friend and this person decided to have sex. This poly person is not and was not responsible for disclosing anything. Your friend needs to ask things they need to ask. The only thing this person was responsible for is discussing any possible STDs or STIs or any other complications that this person might have directly come in contact with. But inherently, your friend's saying, like, are you looking for a hookup? You're looking for more. They were holding the space for the possibility of it being something more watered down. But this person's saying, no, I'm actually open to dating you. I'm dating someone else, but I'm also open to dating you. So I still don't understand manipulation. It kind of falls to me under the offensive biphobia stuff of, oh, if you date someone and have sex with them, they owe it to you to let you know that they've been with other genders and might after you. It's like, no, they don't. And what is it that they're telling you and telling you that? Like, right? People have a right to set boundaries and disclose what makes sense to them at the time or what they've actually been asked or what's actually really necessary in that moment. Um, I, I think your friend's really misplacing their frustration and disappointment. They were never promised anything more. They found out who this person is and they get to decide what they're open for. You know what I mean? Um, your friend needs to ask more questions if they're that hypersensitive to the possibility of someone being in a relationship. But um, I don't I don't see any red flags. And I'm bummed out that everyone's ganging up on this person is always doing something wrong because I don't think that there's anything wrong with people um, being poly. So, yeah. All right, y'all. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about ways to uh, prepare a safe trip in times of COVID. Yes, because y'all are getting on airplanes and uh, road trips and going all over the place. So I thought, why not talk about the safest way to do that? And then, of course, we'll be closing out the show with some more DMs. If you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page in the DMs. Whatever you got for us, we got it. We got answers. Always anonymous, always confidential. So uh, stick around. We'll be back. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about safety for taking a road trip right now. I know the world's opening up. People want to take to the road. I have a lot of clients that have actually done that. And some of this is compiled from some things they've talked about, some things I've done, and also some things from two articles I looked at. But uh, again, restrictions are being eased. People are fully vaccinated, partially vaccinated. And I think that that's really what well, I don't think I know. Um, and then the photos will show that it's really propelled some people to say time to get out of the house, right? So I'm all for that. I'm all for people being uh, safer right? Nothing's safe. It's always about safer, safer sex, safer socialization or travel during COVID. None of it's hundred percent safe. We can't, we can't protect a hundred percent from anything that involves bacteria viruses. That is just part of kind of living in the world, but we want to be smart about it. But from a mental health perspective, I think it's great that people want to find some joy and pleasure, rest, get out of their local area, see some new things, get some sunshine, some fresh air, um, and also just change right? Getting out of the monotony and the depressiveness of just same, of sameness. And I think also in terms of just generalized anxiety, it's really good for us to be out in the world and to see that everything's okay. And so we're kind of doing it on our clock. Um, also just builds memories. It's a good way to use your time. Uh, but there's some things you want to think about because again, we don't want to just move forward without any thought, any precautions, any boundaries, any consciousness, because we're still in a pandemic. And you know, I don't know how how uh, familiar you all are with the rest of the world, but it is very much country by country. There are some countries that are better than the United States with their rollout, and there's a lot of countries that are doing far worse. And so be thoughtful. States are the same way. The numbers are different in different states, and different states have different precautions. So what I just want to say on the front end of all this is, just because a state is saying no masks are needed or required, 
does not mean that's safe. I'm recommending everyone continue to wear a mask. I'd rather us err on the side of caution, right? And so you have to ignore a lot of what's going on politically with some of these states and decisions that are being made. Because some places are full capacity, doors wide open, no mask mandates, and that's a mess. So the first thing is um, look into what's going on in the area you're trying to travel to. How high are the numbers? What kind of regulations are in place? If the numbers are low and they're mandating masks, I'd feel safer. But if they're saying no masks are necessary, et cetera, et cetera, I'm worried. I personally would not feel safe running around Vegas or Florida or places in Texas where no one's wearing a mask, they aren't mandated, doors have been wide open and full capacity for a while now. I have no interest stepping into that. I won't feel safe, even with me following all the precautions. But that's up to you. Um, but do remember, again, that you do impact others and that you possibly continue to bring it back to where you are and you spread it. So check for any travel or COVID-specific restrictions. Now, what that means is if you're flying to another country, yes, you want to find out whether or not you need a negative test to get back on the plane to come home or to enter. I had a friend who impulsively took off to another country, did not pay attention, and found out upon getting ready to go to the airport to fly home that they needed a COVID test negative within a certain amount of time. Very, very, very unprepared. You need to think about these things. So again, it's not just about how high is the risk in the place I'm trying to go, but what are the literal rules and regulations for me to enter and to exit? In Canada right now, if you want to go up there, awesome, head on up. They don't want you, but if you fly on in anyway, you are going to be paying yourself. I'm sorry, you're going to be paying out of your own pocket to be quarantined. You can't just go directly to where you're going. You have to go to a special quarantine hotel and kick it there for 12 days. That's that's a very long trip if you have to put 12 days ahead of it before you even have access. So again, do your homework. Don't just think that everywhere is operating like it is in the United States. Um, and these things change rapidly. So you want to do last minute checks. Call the airport, find out the protocols, find the hotels. Um, also because some of these states might have restrictions as to how many people can congregate somewhere and that might limit your ability to even participate in some of the things you wanted to do while out of town, right? So it even works that way. Like how open are the things I wanna do? Um, what are the capacity numbers? Cause we're doing that in LA. So anyone coming to LA, you might not, you might be waiting in line to get into the gym. You might be going to a hotel where the pool's closed and you don't have access to it. So you might be like, well, that's not the vacation I want. Well, you're right. So look into all that, that matters. Each state, territory, and country is gonna have its own health department, right? So go on the health department's website and it'll give you the most up-to-date, as will some of the airlines. Um, and of course, CDC, right? Um, also, you don't wanna take COVID with you. So please, have ethics and get tested and make sure you're negative before you travel anywhere. Because it'd be very unfair for it to turn out that you were asymptomatic and took COVID with you to this new location, town, city, or wherever it is. No one wants that. Um, so if you have COVID-like symptoms, excuse me, however mild, get tested and cleared, um, even if you don't, because you might be asymptomatic, even if you've been vaccinated. That, that's what I think is the most ethical. Get your vaccination, wear your mask, but still get tested just to make sure. Make build it in as part of your trip, seriously. Um, because I'm, I'm, I mean, that's one of the things I was asking. I had uh, a couple of friends that were traveling, and I asked them. I said, "When's the last time you're tested?" And they're like, "We're good. It's been, a, it's been, you know, got tested weeks ago." And I thought, "Wow, really? No concern for where you're going, especially if you're going to a country that doesn't have the same kind of healthcare we have, and frontline workers are at risk, and you're just going to like board the plane and fly in because you need a break because tickets are cheap. There's nothing ethical in that, right? It's very colonizing." 
Um, all right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to keep talking about what are the things we need to think about uh, before we uh, hit the road. Um, and then DM. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back, and uh, we're talking about, hey, mental health-wise, you want to get on the road and travel, awesome, get some fresh air, some sunshine, break the monotony. But, you know, again, we have to be very thoughtful for a multitude of reasons. Very complex right now. So first thing we're talking about is just check for restrictions to enter, to exit, see what capacities are, see what's open, what's closed. Hotels and venues aren't always operating in their totalities, so there might be spaces, events, or places that are closed. So you might be heading out of town thinking you're gonna be going to A, B, C, and D, and half of them aren't open or reduced hours or have reduced capacity and you'll be waiting in a line. Here, some of the gyms, there's a line because there's capacity regulations and the gyms are following them, thankfully. So you, you, you wanna check in with the state or the country you're going to, go to their health department's website, talk to the airline, and even maybe reach out to some of the specific places you might be wanting to stay. Uh, don't assume that they're all completely open, full capacity, et cetera, et cetera. Also, get tested. Make sure you're not taking COVID with you and infecting other people, especially the high-risk frontline workers or service workers that don't have a choice, right? They, they cannot afford to not go to work, and they're being put in really some funky positions. Just because the state has no mask mandate or no rules in their full capacity doesn't mean that it's safe. And so please still get tested. People are asymptomatic. It's not enough to just be fully vaccinated or have no symptoms. Also, you're going to want to pack ahead of time. You need a lot to bring. You want to bring masks, right? You got to bring your wipes, disinfectant wipes to wipe doorknobs, handles, things like that, surfaces, um, some sanitizer, because depending on where you're going, what you have access to, um, I'm very thoughtful about what I'm touching. And that's just generalized now. I realized I don't want the flu period ever. And I want to be very thoughtful moving forward, non-flu season and flu season in just, I mean, non-corona as well, just washing my hands more in general, wiping things down, going to a hotel and walking in and wiping everything down, even on an airplane. I don't think that that's wild, even in non-pandemic times to say like, a lot of people have touched that doorknob. I don't know if that's been cleaned in a long time. Airlines are notoriously horrible. They have but minutes to clean that entire plane. They, believe me, they are not doing a heavy surface wipe on all those things that everyone's touching. So think about that. You know what I mean? What's going to be heavily uh, touched and contaminated, right? And how can I avoid that? How can I reduce that risk? So you got to be you got to be prepped. Um, also, this is another thing that I'm thinking about longer term: bringing some of your own pillows or linens. If possible, some people are like, okay, calm down, you're going too far. I get it. But again, you're at the mercy of the regulations of the staff and all that. I'm not putting down hotel staff or travel staff. They work very hard. But <clears throat> virus, is it on the pillows? Well, we're pretty confident about surfaces. That our, our information around that has changed. But like, I'm just thinking in terms of any kind of respiratory anything. Um, how, you know, how clean our linens and fabrics, Airbnb and things like that. So I don't know. I've been paying a little bit more attention to that and thinking about being one of those people that travels with some of those more basic things. Um, also just, again, the activity and engagement with those around you, they're coming in contact with you guys traveling in a car. Again, has everyone been tested that's in the car with you? Are you guys singing, talking, all that spreads, uh, the molecules or the, um, What's the word? Anyway, it spreads the virus more. Um, and, you know, again, just that social distancing. Are you going or traveling in ways that allow you to have space and distance away from people? Uh, I'm seeing that some airlines aren't blocking out the middle seats anymore. So you're like stuffed in there. You've seen some of those photos? It's horrifying. 
<laughs> people taking their masks off to eat, which is allowed, right? I mean, I, I see some of those people squeezed in row after row, totally booked, some masks off as they're eating, talking while they're eating, and I'm like, my God, I wouldn't feel comfortable or safe doing that, the risk people are taking. But that's what you have to think about. Is this airline blocking out middle seats? Are there places I'm going to be going where I'm stuffed in with people? I don't know how they're doing it at um in the airports at uh, the border, in the airport uh, when you have to go through customs. Are they spacing everyone out? Because whenever I go to customs, it's like a sardine can. Everyone's just squeezed in that small space in line for long periods of time. So I'm wondering if they're spacing them out. I don't know. I haven't, excuse me, been on an airplane. Also utilizing cash or Apple Pay instead of, I'm sorry, using cards and Apple Pay. Not using cash, trying to not uh, touch money. Again, this whole pandemic thing, I've learned more about viruses and the spread of bacteria than I've ever wanted to know. And it's made me realize how thoughtless we are about so many things. And money, paper, money being one of those things. How far it can travel, how many hands it goes through. And the transfer of disease causing microbes from person to the, you know, from one to the next. I mean, really sit about that. Uh, think about that. And then also making sure you're eating outside, right? Making sure the restaurants have outdoor eating. Um, what else do you have to think about? That's pretty much it. I mean, again, I would just say get tested, keep space, um, check in to make sure everything is open based on where you're going. Um, imagine getting somewhere and then finding out, bum, 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 that they're closed for the time being or even worse, like I've learned about some places here in LA, they are permanently closed and never coming back, right? Or that there's crazy wild lines. Uh, I had a friend that went overseas and that's what he found out. Half the places were closed, had reduced hours, often had a line and uh, it kind of changed the whole thing. But I do from a mental health perspective understand that we need to break out of the monotony. We need to see some new novel experiences. We, we need to feel like our days or our weeks have some higher purpose or meaning than just being on that hamster wheel because that's how it's felt for me. Like every day is like wash, wash and repeat, wash, sleep, repeat. Um, so we're needing a little bit of joy brought in. So if you, if you can find it locally, better off. But again, I wanted to just talk to those that are planning something a little bit bigger than that. Some people just kind of throwing caution to the wind and winging it, but I think that it's, uh, as a public health professional, I'm always going to say that I think it's better to be safer than sorry. Um, traveling and vacationing shouldn't be something that literally takes someone's life or gets us infected with COVID, um, especially because, you know, at least here in California, we're doing awesome. The numbers are dropping and we got to keep at it. The summer's coming, which is going to make more people get emboldened and push back on rules and regulations. So we got to really just like pull through and get to the summer. Um, I'm tired. It's been quite a year. Um, okay. If you want to send us a DM, you can do so by dropping it in the DMs on our Loveline AG page. And if you want to check out a past episode of Loveline, you can do so by going over to wearechannelq.com, scrolling down, looking for my face, clicking on it. And there it is. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. On the new channel Q and radio. Uh, All right, we're back. And uh, before we do any DMs in our next segment, why don't you just take a moment and talk about some trans visibility, uh, trans allyship. Look, legislators have introduced more than 75 bills, 75 in 2020 and 2021, that specifically target transgender youth. Um, and this is usually about access to school and sports and healthcare. Um, and this is a stat coming out of the ACLU who's battling a lot of this, thank thankfully. Um, 
uh, Jennifer, uh, uh, excuse me, from Land Illegal, Jennifer Pfizer, I don't know why I can't pronounce that word, uh, told CBS News that the bills are an unsettling and deeply disturbing show of ignorance and political targeting and a lack of concern for the young people in particular who's not just their rights, but their lives are being set to be trampled by legislators. Um, yeah, it's really kind of heartbreaking. And uh, look, LGBTQIA rights still need a lot of support. Uh, we're far out of the cl- from, you know, really getting away from the violence of the past. It still maintains itself. Every single week, I see anywhere from five to 10 articles documenting the violence against trans and gay individuals around the world, and ex- especially even here in our country. Um, just this was last week, a uh, gay teen died by suicide and the family's going to sue the school because he was bullied and they never stepped in. Um, this is here in the States. This is in Huntsville, Alabama. Um, this is heartbreaking. I, I can't tell you how many, I could pull one a day, right? And that's why it's heartbreaking that legislators are not moving us towards more acceptance and, uh, support and services and resources. It's quite the opposite. And let me, let me just round it out. Here's another one. A town, ready? This is in Europe. Um, a town declares itself an LGBTQIA free zone. Just sit with what that even means. This, is, uh, this was said by a mayor in a, a town in Poland. Just sit with that, that they're not only uh, aware, that they're not only trying to create that, but they're proud of that. That's one of their selling points. Don't worry, we have, we have no one in the community here. Why would that be something to be proud of? right? Um, getting a lot of pushback, but sit with what the meaning is, that that's still a value to many people. Sit with the meaning in the fact that I often will talk about Googling how safe it is to be someone who's openly out in the community in other countries, right? So, so there's more work to do. And again, the gender-affirming care, if you're tracking the work ACLU's and Lambda League are two really good outlets to really learn about the ongoing battle. Um, but medical experts across the board agree that gender affirming care is medically necessary and is life saving. And yet we have politicians and other bigots that are pushing back on that. And that should be something that we all find offensive, whether or not we know someone who's trans or gay um, or not. In fact, I was looking at a story earlier this morning that was talking about a bill, oh my God, down south that's trying to get pushed through that would make it fall under abuse if a parent were supportive of their trans child getting trans health care and, 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 and um, medical care. That it would fall under a form of abuse to support and push that forward. The parents who are being good parents and loving their child. I mean, really sit with the impacts of this. Um, it's really, really heartbreaking. And again, I'm just giving you a few, we're just dipping into a few of them, but these are, these are daily. I'll give you another really startling fact. 33 states, 33, have introduced anti-trans laws in 2021. It is April. Okay, we are but a few months in and 33 states have introduced anti-trans bills. That is disgusting. We have to be better about this. We have to be more aware of what's going on. We have to be better allies. One of the ways we do that is start to follow social media that covers and documents these things. Again, ACLU is among my favorite because they really fight the good fight. And there's a lot of people that are working tirelessly because this impacts all of us. 33 states. That is not okay. We also have 
30 states that are introducing bills that would ban transgender kids from playing sports. Sports. Sports are supposed to be fun. That's why they were created, for fun and entertainment. That's it. And you're taking it way too seriously if you're trying to literally pass laws that would ban a child's right to participate and wants to ignore their mental health, which would say let them live the identity that is aligned with who they are. We're talking about sports, but yet states want to be that violent, right? So we're not just talking about healthcare, which is massive. We're also just talking about at the local level, trying to participate in a sport. And so what's happening is some of these concerned parents and families are having to move and leave the literal state because they have no support and they're watching what's happening and they're looking out for their family. And sadly, these kinds of laws and bills really keep that negativity and oppression going. And some of these people, whether they're leaving the state or not, are having to distance from friends and family members and even schools because they're not getting the support and they're getting targeted. And they're just trying to support their kids or they're just trying to support themselves. And again, school isn't safe, family members aren't safe, and in some places, like I said, the entire state is becoming unsafe. So we've got a lot of work to do, but the first place we start is just with raising awareness and visibility that this is happening and pushing back on it and being an ally and providing resources and care and support. All right, y'all, when we come back, we're gonna be sliding into those DMs. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, here we go. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, first, thank you for changing my life for the better over these past few years. Oh, thank you. You've helped me learn so much and shed a lot of shame. That means a lot. Thank you for sharing that with me. I always am very touched when people uh, take the time to let me know how I've been able to be a journey or path uh, on their path or on their journey with them. And that's a blessing. Um, so thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, my, my honor truly. Uh, so here's the question. I'm wondering if you have any advice regarding dating while an eating disorder recovery. I'm a straight cis woman whose body has changed and grown in the past few years during my recovery. And it hinders me from dating, talking to men or feeling comfortable having sex. I feel lonely, but even more afraid. It's been over a year and anytime I get close to wanting to branch out, I back out because I feel so much fear about them being disgusted by my body. Even when I tell myself I'm beautiful as I am and it's okay in a fat phobic society, I don't know how to date and feel safe from fat shaming and body shaming comments and people because it sets me back further. I don't know what to do and I'm sick of how debilitating this feels. I'm desperate for some resources, please help. First off, I appreciate your uh, struggle. Thank you for the honesty and vulnerability. I think there's a lot of people that can really relate to that. You know, dating's difficult. It, it really puts into question and, and puts on the line our self-esteem and self-worth, our body esteem, our sexual esteem. And you're right, we live in a very fatphobic culture where people despise fatness and it's their biggest goal in life is to never become that, right? Um, and it's made worse when the summer's coming and people are talking about a beach body as though there's a certain right kind of body to have to go to the beach and people are posting before and after photos and all these different things that just, again, are fat phobic. Um, so I, 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 I uh, empathize with that part and that's why I'm always calling out to our listeners to be part of you know the solution and dismantling those larger systems 
of toxic gym and diet culture that make people feel like they don't even worth and value or any desirability. And we're all at the mercy of that on different levels, but people, especially some more so, right? And being in, in eating disorder recovery, it's really about trying to stay away from triggers as much as possible, right? Grounding ourselves in our bodies, um, trying to neutralize and not even have to consider our body. But when entering into dating and sex, unfortunately, it's often us having to lead with our body. I mean, think about a dating profile. You put your face up there. At some point, we show photos that include our body, right? We're very much lined up in a, almost a consumerist way to be chosen. It's, it's very, very, very funky. So a couple of things I'd say. Um, you know, do continue to do the internal work so as to feel <clears throat> as though you have the internal resources. And, you know, as always, I say, unfollow, fat shaming, body shaming, social media build community with people that are all about fat liberation, follow them, read their books. There's tons of amazing books that are all about fat liberation and fat rights. Join that community, read all those books because we need community behind us when we're any, when we're any oppressed, marginalized or minority based identity or whatever it is out in the world. And body shape and size is one of those. So unfollow everything, build community, right? Because you're going to always be moving through a world that says you're not okay as you are. But then comes the dating part because what you do need is a corrective experience. You're going to have to step into your anxiety and courageously step into dating anyway, right? Because it's only through dating that you'll get the experiences of people reflecting back your worth and your value and your desirability. It's an action. And it's a relational wound that's only healed relationally. And so you have to be willing to step in your anxiety so that you can be given the opportunity to have people tell you of your worth and value. Dating apps are gnarly, but there's a lot of there's a lot of better ones these days. And so that's why I like ones like Bumble, where it's where it can be female led, where you choose who you talk to. Um, also apps like the HUD app, H-U-D, which are very body positive, are very sex positive, it's very feminist. But at the end of the day, we live in a fact-phobic culture and that's still going to exist and you're still going to be at the mercy of some of that, right? Just like we live in a homophobic and transphobic culture and gay people will always be on the receiving end at some points throughout the day or the week or the month of the year where they're going to have to encounter homophobia. That's just part of the journey as we as a culture work on dismantling the larger systems. So again, my answer isn't a complete resolve because that's not possible because there's your individual journey and then the culture and society you live in. So while culture and society is trying to get better, which might not, well, it will not happen in our lifetime. In the meantime, please start to create community and spaces that honor and value who you are and the body you have. And that's the best we can do right now, you know? But again, here, I want my listeners to hear your message and to be moved by it for them to do better, to call people out and to be all about fat rights because that's really where the work lies. All right, y'all, that is our show. We'll be back tomorrow doing a little couples therapy, talking about male insecurities. So join us. You can check out past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out and you enjoy the rest of your night.